the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God chose you for one purpose, and that purpose is so that you could be fruitful for His glory. And if you struggle with that, if you're thinking, oh God, I'm ill-equipped, I don't have ability, I'm uneducated. If you can't do that, He just says, just ask me, and I will give you everything you need. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Now, just these first truths should help me in this fishing expedition that he's called me to go on. Because I should begin to understand that he sees me where I, where I am. He, he doesn't expect me to be overly qualified, to be overly educated, to be overly equipped. He sees me where I am, and he's the one doing the calling. In spite of all that I am, in spite of what he sees, he wants me to come along for this journey, this fishing expedition. Let me give you this third truth. You'll never become what he created you to be until you first learn to be with Jesus. You've got to understand the first aspect of his call. And I think after 50 years of walking around Christ's followers, this is an area where we most often get it wrong. The the first thing that God has called you to do is not to do, it is to be. It is to be in his presence. He wants you to become like him, but in order to do that, you must be with him. And and so the followers that he was calling left everything they had in order to be with them. Being with Jesus must be the priority of your life. If you are going to be a fisher of men and women, if you're going to be one who finds your one, if, if you're going to make a difference in your corner of the world, then being with Jesus must be a priority in your life. Amen. And so here's a question that's a fair question that I think every one of us should ask. Do those around us, do the closest to us, Do they think that we prioritize being with Jesus? And parents, that's just a good place for for me to remind us that it's doubtful that our children will ever prioritize the things they've watched us marginalize. If we don't take seriously the things of faith, it is a far stretch It's so frustrating in our culture today. Things have really changed. But it's not unusual that I'll I'll see parents after their children go off to college. They'll come back and they'll be very discouraged because their children are not continuing in their faith journey. But when you look back at at their past, their, their, their children were away from the things of God for any reason that came up. 
If there was a ball tournament, they were away. If there was a dance competition, they were away. If there was a lot of schoolwork, they were away. If there was a lot of vacation, they were away. And and our children will never learn to prioritize those things that they've watched us marginalize. Why would they begin to think there are priorities in our life that don't seem to be demonstrated by that way, just by our attitudes and our actions? You prioritize being with Jesus. One of my favorite stories of this is one of the more familiar stories in Scripture. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10 tells us that Jesus and his friends gathered at the home of a lady named Martha. And let me pick up reading there. It says in verse 39 that she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Isn't it interesting? She was sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha was distracted with much serving. See, even the good things can get us distracted. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. <laughs> Again, it's funny in this passage, isn't it? Martha assumes Jesus' answer. She doesn't give him a chance to respond. <laughs> she says, don't, don't you think this is a bad thing? Then tell her something. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love the translation that says Mary has chosen the better thing. What was the better thing? She was just being with Jesus. She was hanging out at his feet. When you realize that Jesus has chosen you, hey, I want you to understand, it only makes sense to want to be with him. If you don't want to be with him and be around the things that represent him, it's hard to make, it's hard to fathom that you understand that he chose you. Because when you understand that you want to be with him, you want to become like him, you want to follow after him. I want to get into his word. Yesterday, little DJ got married. DJ's our, our pastoral resident and he's part of our staff team. You've seen him hanging out here. He used to have really long hair because he was trying to become like his fiance. <laughs> then he cut it. But he got married yesterday, and I did what I did at most weddings. You know what I do at most weddings? I cried. I cried because I looked down and I saw DJ's mom. Her, his parents are longtime friends for almost 20 years of us, and she was crying, and I cried. And I look at DJ and and his eyes were leaking, and so I cried. But at the end, I, I told them, you know, I do a lot of weddings, and I, I really cry at a lot of weddings. But I think I do, because every time I stand um, with a couple, I, I'm taken back to that moment, 26 years ago now, where Kimberly and I stood before our friends and family and committed our life and our love. And man, there have been failures, there have been heartaches, and most of all of that is my, my fault, and and, and yet, uh, I think back about that, and it just stirs me to emotion. But I told them at the end yesterday, yesterday, it stirred me to emotion even more. Because my bride was there, and so I was just thinking about it. Because I could look out and see her. Because I just want to be with her. Ever since she said yes, which means she chose me, I just wanted to be with her. That's the way it works. 
And, and so that's the way it works with us. Now, one of the best ways to, to be with God in our day is to, to be in his word, right? Because I can't open his word and read it without hearing God speak. If I want to hear God speak to me out loud, you know all I need to do? Read his word out loud. That, that's how it works. So what I want to do is I want to get into God's word and let God's word get into me. Because when I do that, I'm being with Jesus and it's changing me. It's, it's moving me to become more like him. And I just need you to know that when it comes to application, this is an easy one for you. So let me explain it. It begins in your personal journey. Every day, you can open the scriptures. You can spend time in prayer. You can be with Jesus. The, the truth is, because of God's word, and because of the access that you have through prayer, you can sit at the feet of Jesus just like Mary. But then you've got other ways. And give yourself a hand, because you're enjoying one of those right now. It's called corporate worship. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake this. When you forsake not the assembling of yourself together, when you come together with the body, uh, you're gathering in the presence of Jesus. You know, when I met with some men just a few moments ago and prayed for our time together, what we prayed is that Jesus would meet us here. That the presence of the Holy Spirit would be evident and fill this place. And then you even got more opportunities because a lot of folks will leave this room and and go into community groups or some this week will go into home groups. And and when you sit down with those folks and you open God's word, you're just hanging out more with Jesus. How are you doing in that area of prioritizing that in your life? Let me give you a fourth truth. To be with Jesus, you have to follow him. And to follow him, you have to leave where you are. So so I'm taking you on a logical journey because to me, this just makes sense. God sees you where you are, but he calls you into what he wants you to become. He calls you. Isn't that a great thing? But he calls you to become something you can only experience by being with him. But you can only be with him when you follow him. And by nature, following him means you're turning back from your way to follow him. That's why all those old hymns we used to sing speak to that so much. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his face. I have decided to follow Jesus. Wherever he leads, I'll go. When I follow him, I'm understanding that I'm forsaking my path, my plans, my way, my will. When I follow him, when I truly love Jesus, I'm leaving those things that are old to me. And that's what the disciples did. I just want to read it and remind you. Look at verse 20. Immediately, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 22, immediately, they left the boat and their father and they followed him. What did they leave? They left their nets and their boat and their father. Now, what does that mean? What do the nets and the boat represent? It's their plan, their way, their vocation, their will, how they had figured out. Remember what we set up? Somewhere along the way, they decided, we're not going to rabbi school. We're going to be fishermen, just like our father. And so they went out on the boat, and they began to fish. When they followed Jesus, they had to resign from their way of doing things. For the rest of Christianity, following Jesus would be summed up in another word. It's called repentance. And that's what that word means. I was going this way, 
something happened. I, I changed. And I followed him. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I need you to understand this today because some of you here need to follow Jesus for the first time. It doesn't matter how many times you've raised your hand or how many times you've prayed a prayer. It doesn't even matter if you've been baptized or how many times you've been baptized. If there's not been a time in your life where repentance took place, where you turned forsaking your ways to follow him, then biblically you are not saved. You might be a church member. You could even be a deacon or a leader. Shoot, you could be a staff member or a pastor. But that doesn't make you saved. You only have a salvation relationship with God when there's been that turning point in your life where you realized, oh, to be with him, I've got to follow him. For these fishermen, that probably was frightening. They knew how to fish. They probably weren't very good at following. They could catch fish. They probably thought he was crazy when he said, we're going to catch people. They knew they weren't the best and the brightest. But the master had chosen them. They had to forsake their their plans, but they also had to walk away from the relationships they valued most. Now listen to this carefully. This applies to some of you here. Some of you are in ungodly relationships. And and so to follow Jesus, it it only makes sense. You've got to walk away from that, right? You've got to get rid of the unholy in your life if you're going to embrace the holiness that is called a relationship with God through Jesus. But most of us won't have that call that will challenge us in the way it would have these disciples. But many under the shadow of this steeple do. Did you know when our Muslim friends begin a relationship with Christ, they do so with the awareness that their family will probably write them off. Some do so fearing for their lives. When you see one of them, if you do, walk through the waters of believers' baptism, they do so knowing that testimony may cause them to be in danger. Same thing is true for many in our community from an Indian background. And the truth is, right here in our community, those two groups of people make up a large part of the diversity that we celebrate. So I want you to recognize that it's not uncertain to think this call to follow Jesus is still a call to sacrifice. But make no mistake, these first disciples, they did it and they did it immediately. My question to you, what's standing in the way of you immediately following Jesus?
we, we've already said it, it can't be your education or your background or your circumstances or, 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 or any of those things, your sinful past. It can't be that because Jesus sees that and he, he's still calling. You say, well, I, I've got good things going on. I, I want to remind you, any good thing that we prioritize above the main thing the person of Jesus Christ, that becomes an idol in our life. So maybe I need to ask, what are the idols in your life that are immediately keeping you from following Jesus? How do you know that God hasn't called you to go and be on the mission field? How do you know that the reason that you're living where you're living or working where you're working or in the classroom that you're in is not because the God of the universe knew that you would have an opportunity to impact with another individual whose life could be impacted forever because he's placed you there. What's keeping you from following Jesus? What do you need to forsake? Let me give you this fifth truth and then we'll pray. When you do that, when you follow Jesus, you begin to understand what he created you to become, a fisher of people. (laughs) So let's say that again in verse 19. Let's say it together. Follow me and I will make you a decision to follow Jesus is a choice to do what he's asked us to do and fish for people. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? We have a choice. This is that paradox in theology. Some of you will spend a lot of your time trying to figure out the paradox. I would just suggest you embrace it. Scripture teaches that God chooses us. But then it tells us that the ball's in our court. We get to decide, am I going to choose or am I going to reject? Am I going to follow him? When you do, you get the blessings of life that he offers. And it's essential to our Christian calling. You get to be one who is fishing for people. You get to be one who is bearing fruit. That's why he chose you. Can I prove it? Look again at John 15, 16, because we just read part of the verse. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, people take all kinds of parts of this verse, tearing it apart, and misrepresent it. Sometimes you have people do what I did earlier, because you didn't know I was coming back to it, and just tell you, you did not choose me, I chose you, and they just focus on that part of the verse. Sometimes you have people take the end of this verse saying, just ask the Father anything in in His name and He'll give it to you. What this verse is saying, God chose you for one purpose and that purpose is so that you could be fruitful for His glory. And if you struggle with that, if you're thinking, oh God, I'm ill-equipped, I don't have ability, I'm uneducated. If you can't do that, He just says, just ask me and I will give you everything you need. Say, really? Is it that big of a deal? Well, let's back up. Go back to verse 8 of John 15. In John 15, 8, this is what it says. By this, 
my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And in doing so, you prove to be my disciples. So I think you can make a case. If you're not fishing, you're not following. You're not proving to be the disciples he's called you to be. You're not impacting the world. According to Jesus, you're robbing him of glory. Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And in his little book, this is what he says. When the church, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. Please understand this. You are God's method. There is no plan B. Bearing fruit, fishing for people, is not an exceptional goal for some disciples. It's the expectation of every disciple. Are you fishing? Are you following? Maybe you've heard this old story. It's kind of what I put in the category of preacher stories. This game warden was getting concerned because one of the fishermen that he knew fished regularly in his territory, was kept catching exceptional amounts of fish. Unusually large catch of fish. So the game warden wondered what was up, and one day he noticed the guy was backing his boat down into the lake while he was there, and he thought, this was my opportunity. So he all but invited himself to get onto the boat, and so the fisherman said, come on, you can go with me. They got out in the middle of the lake and the fisherman said, you ready to fish? And the game warden said, yes. So the fisherman opened his tackle box and he reached in and he pulled out a stick of dynamite. He lit the stick of dynamite. He just tossed it over the edge, threw it in the water. Bam! After the explosion, dozens of fish began to bubble up to the top of the water. He just took his net, he scooped them up, he put them in the boat. The game warden was literally speechless. But while he was sitting there with his mouth open, the guy reached into the tackle box. He put out another stick of dynamite. He lit it. He threw it in the water. Bam! Hundreds of fish were now floating at the top, the surface of the water. He was scooping them up as fast as he could. The guy began to complain. The game warden said, you can't do that. That's got to be against the law. You can't light a stick of dynamite, throw it in the water, and catch fish. But while he was talking, the man reached into his tackle box. He picked up another stick of dynamite. He lit it, and he handed it to the game warden. And this is what he said. You going to fish, or you going to talk? Oh, brothers and sisters. 
we've gotten really good at talking. Many of us who gather, like we have today, you know the stories, you know the commands. You know you're not perfect, and you acknowledge that. But many of us are not fishing. And I would just remind you, I think it's fair to look at the words of Jesus and assume if you're not fishing, no matter how much you're talking, you're not following. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.